Sports Social with Eddie Stitt Jr. We are back once again here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. Another day, another episode, another interesting week in the world of sports. Now, last week was all about the President of the United States, Mr. Donald Trump, taking his frustrations out on sports. It feels like, you know, in regards to Steph Curry not going to the White House, the whole uh, Jamil Hill situation. And then, of course, which continues to go on, the NFL and the kneeling and the disrespect to the flag and he called them SOBs. It's that whole deal. So, with that being said, I look back at just that past week. And I have to say, that had to be probably the most politically charged week in sports that I've seen in a long time. And this is some of the stuff we've had with... The I can't breathe shirts in terms of the police brutality. You're talking about something that crossed over every sport. You're talking about each team having their different ways of protesting the president of the United States. That needs you have to let that sink in for a minute. Like everyone is protesting the president of the United States. And I had to think to myself, I'm like, man, like I had to do an entire episode on why people, why sports and the President of the United States seem to be at their own little conflict. I'm not going to call it a war, I don't want to say that, but it's incredible when you look back on that. I barely talked about anything sports related in terms of stats, in terms of trades, in terms of the actual gameplay. It became secondary or just not existent. It became the, the, the C to D story if you want to, if you want to put it into that type of uh, understanding. So this week, I try to, you know, focus it back on what's going on in sports. But there's always going to be a reminder of that. There's going to be continued protests throughout the year, as it should be. And that people are not going to stand for it. I mean, I've talked about Colin Kaepernick, I think, almost every week on this show. And there's a reason for it. This stuff is just not going to go away. I actually have a, a soundbite from Ray Lewis, who was one of those... Those people that took a knee during the the national anthem and when he was in London with the uh, Baltimore Ravens, this was as a as a visitor, just what well, you know, as an analyst, I guess. He used to play for the Ravens for so many years. He decided to go to London. He was shown on his knees, and he said that it wasn't at a protest. He was not protesting the you know the uh, the president of the United States. He was actually praying. Yes, he said he was praying people. I'm as shocked as probably the many people that heard that because why would you say that? Why why would you even come out and say, oh, well, I was praying. That's the reason why I came down there and I, I took a knee with everyone else. Uh, it's Ray Lewis, you know, you kind of surprise me just with everything you do. It's just like, why would you go? Why would you go there? You know, come on, Ray. Like, I, I don't know who Ray Lewis's friends are. I don't know who... He talks to for this to happen, but it's a lot. So, look, at the end of the day, I look at the whole situation with, you know, everybody taking a knee, and, and I understand why they do it. But Ray Lewis is going to have his explanation, and I, I really want everyone to hear this. I'm going to play that a little bit later in the show. It's It's very unique. That's the best way I can probably describe it. It's a unique way of 
talking about his participation that day. Jerry Jones even took a knee, but a lot of people didn't really take it seriously. They thought Jerry Jones was just doing that just to do it. Because everybody knows Jerry Jones is very, he seems like a real big Trump supporter. Uh, I just can't see him saying, okay, I'm going to try and defy the President of the United States. There's been a lot of questionable stuff with that. And, you know, like I said, I just, I, I love to get people's opinions on why. Or why they think that stuff is happening. I mean, it's really important for people to have that conversation and, and just try to understand it. So inside the NFL, they had a conversation with Ray Lewis, who is a panelist on the show. And I thought they did a good job with letting him just express how he felt about it. But once again, I warn you, it is a very unique response to this whole situation. Also, um, I'm, I have two guests on the show. Very excited about this. I have uh, Jonathan Eig. He is a probably one of the best journalists, authors out there right now. So um, is extreme. I was just extremely excited to get him on the show. He wrote a biography about Muhammad Ali. He talks about different things about Muhammad Ali actually having CTE. Uh, he talks about him with the protests back in the day. And he's a huge sports fan. And, you know, obviously with boxing, his whole breakdown of um, Ali and his condition was uh it's very uh opening eye opening it's a whole book coming out uh, i believe it's coming out in october october 3rd so be ready for that anywhere books are sold just um like i said just a, it's just an amazing uh breakdown of muhammad ali not just the champion he talked about the man himself so i'm looking forward to that also we have sue favor on the show she uh was a writer for slam magazine uh she runs her own website womenshoopsworld.com She's been on the show before, biggest women's basketball supporter I know, and she breaks down the game not like unlike many other. And I have to say that her breakdown of the WNBA Finals, because I follow her site, has been spot on uh, between the Minnesota Lynx and the uh, Los Angeles Sparks. They're heading into Game 5 of that WNBA Finals matchup. We broke that down. We also broke down different topics that have been uh, all around the WNBA this past season. And uh, it's definitely a great conversation with that. I'm um, gonna have a couple of different sounds, like I said, with the Ray Lewis, just to break down his whole like mindset because I still don't get it. Um, as well as you know, just your opinions. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Ed Easton Jr. As well as on Instagram, same name at Ed Easton Jr. Give me your thoughts. Give me your feedback. What do you want to hear on the show? What do you think topics are important to you? Because that's what it's all about. It's Brooklyn Free Speech, but we're for everybody. Go to the website, sportssocialpod.com, for more details on just when the show airs, how you can catch it, whether it's via the television in um, Brooklyn or different parts of New York City. We're going to have all that information out coming soon. So definitely, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm excited. Sports is here. You got the NHL starting. You got the NBA starting. And you have baseball going into the playoffs. So this is an exciting time. We're in October. My birthday's this week. How about that? A lot of different things are going on. So uh, let's be excited about that, okay? You're listening to Sports Social with Eddie C. Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. I am a mountain 
I am a tall tree, oh, I am a swift wind, sweeping the country. I am a river, down in the valley, oh, I am a vision, and I can see clearly. If anybody asks you who I am, just stand up tall, look them in the face and say, that star up in the sky I'm that mountain peak up high Hey, I made it mm, I'm the world's greatest And I'm that little bit of hope When my back's against the ropes I can feel it mm, I'm the world's greatest I'm a giant, I am an eagle, oh, I am a lion, down in the jungle, I am a marching band, I am the people, oh, I am a helping hand, I am a hero, if anybody asks you who I am, just stand up tall, look them in the face and say, star up in the sky I'm that mountain peak up high Hey, I made it mm, I'm the world's greatest mm, And I'm that little bit of hope When my back's up against the ropes I can feel it mm, I'm the world's greatest In the ring of life I'll reign love I will reign
few, it's just a few hours for the fight, and I have to get in to get my last minute rest because we're gonna see who's the best. Hello, Jonathan. Yeah, hey Ed, how are you? Hi, doing good. Uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with us for Brooklyn Free Speech. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Uh, definitely. Um, like I said, we're really happy to have you and uh, everything you've accomplished as a journalist and an author. And, you know, I was looking you up, and it said that you were actually born in Brooklyn. So uh, I, I don't know if you want to touch on a little bit of that, If uh, just how was your experience growing up in Brooklyn? Well, I don't remember it too well. I was I was there till I was three, and then we moved to uh, up to Spring Valley, uh, that area, Rockland County. So um, my parents were the were the real Brooklynites. I was just uh, just there for a little bit. Well, it still counts. We're gonna count it just for the record. So, <laughs> Thank right, you. You're still a Brooklynite fully. <laughs> I'm proud of it. Definitely, and we're proud of you. And uh, I have asked because, um, like I said, you are a journalist and you are an author. Who is your uh, biggest career inspiration? Oh man, you know, growing up, I used to read the sports pages a lot, and uh, and loved Red Smith. That was really my introduction to, to the newspaper because uh, I wasn't gonna read any section except the sports section. And and he was just such a great writer, and the way he was able to uh, just um, make you make you smile, make you feel with his words uh, that had a big impression on me early on. I think he was you know the columnist for the for the New York Times back when I was growing up. Okay. So I, I should say that sports are your main uh, objective in regards to like your your um, number one interest um, as a journalist as well. And um, if you don't mind, just giving uh, everybody like a just a, a little sample of some of the places you worked with um, in the past. Yeah, sure. You know, I was I, I actually was was never a sports writer. I love sports, but I worked as a newspaper reporter for a long time. I was at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, before that, I was at the Dallas Morning News and the New Orleans. Times Picayune. Um, when I was in high school, I worked for the uh, the, the local paper. So I was, a, I was a news reporter mostly, but I loved sports. And then um, I wrote my first book, was a biography of Lou Gehrig, another uh, New York kid. And um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I realized that uh, sports books are a lot of fun to write. So I um, have been, you know, I haven't done all sports books. I also did a book about Al Capone, uh, who's from Brooklyn. And mm -hmm. um, I did a book about the invention of the birth control pill. So, um, but then I did, you know, Lou Gehrig, Jackie Robinson, and and now I'm Muhammad Ali. It's all full circle. And uh, just in regards to obviously your uh, new book that is going to be coming out very soon, actually on uh, October third, uh, Ali: A Life. What was your motivation to write a biography on the like on the uh, life of Muhammad Ali? Well, you know. Um, I was a huge fan growing up. I had his poster on my ceiling, and you know I was born in '64, so I'm old enough to have seen or at least watched on TV some of those fights with Frazier and Foreman and Ken Norton. And I was, um, I just thought the guy was like a superhero. And when you get older, you begin to realize that superheroes, there's no such thing. You know, he's a real person, and nobody had written a, a full biography of him yet. There have been a lot of books written about him and some really good ones, but nobody had done the full-blown. Um, you know, cradle to grave biography where you you know interview everybody. You know, I interviewed more than 200 people. I dug up uh, FBI records. I dug up his birth certificate, and I just went you know after every every little thing that I possibly could. And um, it was just unbelievable to me that such a great story was was out there and and nobody had done it yet. 
Wow. And um, obviously, during all your research, did you encounter like any issues uh, while gathering like different interviews and uh, background information on Ali? Oh yeah, it wasn't always easy. A lot of people didn't want to talk. Um, they wanted to be paid to talk. Um, but you know, I eventually got everybody I wanted. I got you know all three of Ali's wives to cooperate. I got Don King. I got George Foreman. I got Louis Farrakhan. Everybody I wanted eventually came around and 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 spoke to me. So I was you know I, I worked on this thing for more than four years, and I was really persistent. And 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 ultimately, I think people really wanted to make sure that Ali's story was told right and they they you know they put their trust in me i definitely understand that and uh were there any surprises that you learned from the interviews and the uh, research oh my god so many i mean you can start like just earliest chronologically you know ali's grandfather was a convicted murderer nobody knew that mm. um he killed a guy over a over a 25 cent craps game um nobody had oh. ever discovered that and then all kinds of things like you know um Related to his fight career, um, you know, Ali failed his drug test after the after the Larry Holmes fight. Uh, most people don't know that. Um, he was starting to show signs of brain damage as early as the uh, early 1970s. He fought for 10 more years. So there was just one thing after another. Um, you know, I think people reading this book are going to find hundreds of things that they that they didn't know about Ali. Do you believe uh, your book will help educate current and future boxers? Uh, just not only from what Ali, what Ali went through, uh, just like you said, CTE and uh, the whole process, everything. You think this will be a help, a helpful educational tool for them? Yeah, I, I hope that it will, it will tell people that you know that, that that boxing is inherently dangerous. But I think we already know that. Um, I also think it'll help remind people that um, when you hear people like Colin Kaepernick being criticized for speaking his mind or even LeBron James being criticized for, for using his position to, to talk about politics that, you know, Ali came first and Ali said that, you know, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. I don't have to be what you want me to be. And we still treat our athletes, especially our black athletes, as if they're just paid entertainers and they're, they're not supposed to have any opinions. We expect them just to perform and keep their mouths shut. And that's, that's, that's not right. And Ali fought for that right to speak up. I definitely hear you on that. And uh, in regards to the uh, the whole CTE caution, um, what do you what do you believe? Uh, just obviously not just from the book, but um, what do you believe people are are learning from CTE? Because you see, it seems like even with the Aaron Hernandez situation, it's becoming even more uh, news lately. Do you feel like people are going to start taking more caution when it comes to that? Yeah, I think um, you know it, 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 it's becoming clear now that if you play football, there's a very good chance you're going to have CTE. Um, you know, Aaron Hernandez was a young man, and they found that he had advanced CTE. So, I mean, he must have had it um, in the first years of his career, and it doesn't go away. If you get it, you know, it's it's gonna it's it's gonna get you. Um, so, I think we're becoming more and more aware of that, and it'll be interesting to see how it affects the game of football. How many people are going to let their kids play? Um, if they know that it's going to do that kind of damage. Oh, definitely. And uh, you said mentioned earlier you had you've done a book with Lou, you did with Lou Gehrig. Uh, you've done Jackie Robinson. What sets this project apart from the past books you've written? Well, first of all, Ali was perhaps the most famous man of the 20th century, and this is you know he I think um, had a much um, larger profile than anyone else. And the other big difference for me was that he was, you know, fairly 
um, contemporary. He was still alive when I began this book, and his three of his four wives were still alive, um, many of his contemporaries. So I was able to go out and interview you know, dozens and dozens of people who knew him and could tell me firsthand what it was like to be around him. And, and that makes for a very different kind of reporting than if you're, you know, if you're writing about Lou Gehrig and there's hardly anybody left who knew him. So I was able to get really intimate, very personal details about his life. I definitely hear you on that. And uh, you're actually in the uh, process of working on a documentary series? That's right. I'm uh, teaming up, um, well, consulting. I'm uh, you know, helping Ken Burns and the team at PBS do a, um, a multi-part documentary on Ali's life. Wow, it's incredible, and obviously the book is the uh, first thing coming out October 3rd. Can you let people know the uh, best way to uh, pick up a copy? Yeah, the book is called Ali, so that's easy to remember, and it's got a great big picture of Ali on the cover. No words. You don't even need a title when, when it's Ali, um, mm-hmm. and it's available at all the bookstores, and it's available online at um, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, all the, you know, every place that you, can, that you can possibly buy a book, they should have copies of this. Okay, Jonathan, thank you very much for uh, taking time to uh, talk about your book, and uh, we look forward to reading it. Thank you. It's really nice talking to you. He was the greatest of all time, the wittiest, the prettiest, the quickest, the slickest, and the most dangerous. Man, I am America. I'm the part you won't recognize. Black, confident, cocky. My name, not yours. My religion, not yours. Get used to me. In a time of fiery revolution, when the prevailing racial order was under attack with a fury not seen since the Civil War, Muhammad Ali became the most hated man in America. But he fought his way back, back to the heavyweight title the government had taken away, and back into people's hearts. Now comes the first complete unauthorized biography of this icon his life, his loves, his fights. Ali, a monumental work of American history from best-selling author Jonathan Icke. You may know the boxer, the rebel, the Muslim, the joker, the legend. But until you read Ali, you won't know the man. Sports Social with Eddie Easton Jr., we are back. And going into this week's sounds, like I said, we're going to go into the whole Ray Lewis breakdown of his infamous breakdown on the sidelines saying that he was just taking a knee because he was praying. We're going to get into that whole deal. You guys can agree to or disagree whether or not he's telling the truth or he's just avoiding uh, any conflicts moving forward. Uh, also, we have LeBron James giving his first thoughts on the acquisition of Dwayne Wade, his best friend to the Cleveland Cavaliers. It just has me thinking, like, the Cavaliers, they, they just put together this Great team of B stars with, you know, an A star in uh, LeBron James and probably Kevin Love to that matter. Are they enough for the Golden State Warriors? Uh, just LeBron's thoughts on it. And obviously how happy he is to have his best friend, and you know, back with him. This time in Cleveland, they obviously won those titles in, in Miami with the Heat. So uh, just listening to his thoughts on it. Also, we get to hear... Uh, some commentary in regards to two WNBA players from New York Liberty trying out the brand new WNBA feature in NBA Live 18. So exciting stuff. Definitely look forward to for you guys to check that out and just give your opinions on it. Also, when we come back, we're going to have 
the special interview with Sue Favor from womenshoopsworld.com talking about the uh, Minnesota Lynx and the L.A. Sparks in the WNBA Finals. So without further ado, here's this week's sounds. In fact, you did take a knee when you are allegedly on record as saying that you never would. Talk about Actually, what happened. Actually, two knees. And that's the point. Let's make, let's make sure. You hear people saying, oh, he took a knee. I absolutely not, did not take a knee. I walked onto the ballot. Hold on, let's be clear. When you say you hear people say. People, you hear people. You hear Shannon Sharp going out there talking about, I dropped on a knee, and this is about, oh, I sat in the chair next to him, and, and I said I would never do this, and I still didn't do it. I'm watching young kids just confused. Everybody confused. Nobody don't know what they're talking about. What am I going to do if I'm going to stand up, if I'm going to grab hands, if I'm going to interlock? I'm, what am I going to do? So I walked away, JB, and I didn't drop on one knee in order to protest. Boom, I dropped on two knees, both knees, so I can simply honor God in the midst of chaos. And Ray, now hold on. So you are passionately making this point, which, by the way, you were very passionate in our production meeting as well. So put a little bit of context on this. The reason you mentioned Shannon, meaning Shannon Sharp, your yeah. former teammate, why are you mentioning him? He, what does he have to do? He goes out and tells somebody why he's so disappointed in me. In you? Absolutely. First of all, I'm 42 years old with six kids. I'm a grown man. So to be disappointed in me, it really, like, sparked me. And now all of these people are going off his sound bites of how he's so shocked that I dropped on the knee to protest. Really? You got my phone number, brother. A friend. A friend? A friend picks up the cell phone and say, bro, what was your intention? What were you doing? You saw my mouth moving. I asked the And your Lord, mouth moving was because? Friend. Now, just, I, this makes me ask you a real a serious question. I have First Amendment rights myself. We got people standing. We got people bowing. We got people don't even want to respect the flag. If we want to make it right, make it two ways. You can only stand or pray. We used to and have you, it like and that. And you chose to? Pray. So to be clear about this, you didn't drop on one knee, as you said you wouldn't do, because you disagreed with that former protest, but you dropped on two knees. I never will agree with that. Mm -hmm. So you maintain that position. I do too much with the military. I do too much for cops. I do too much meeting with high-level officials trying to fix the problems in these neighborhoods. I do way too much, JB, and I just want to get into this and, and let everybody understand why, JB. When I was 10 years old, I watched my mother walk up to me with two bloody eyes from being beaten, and I couldn't understand why. And I didn't have a father. I didn't have nobody to come and say, son, it's all right. And I saw my mother praying one day. And I said, Mama, why are you praying on your knees? She said, son, when you got chaos in your life, this is where you go. And all I knew to do, not just on Sunday, but if you followed my track record, you've seen me fall on my knees in Denver. You saw me fall on my knees in New England. When I got to New Orleans, I fell on my knees because of my mother taught me what I should do in the midst of chaos. So when a brother attacks me talking about I took a knee on my country, I fight for my country. I fight for my country. And the only thing I would love to just ask, like, I got all these former teammates saying all of this, but was you disappointed in me when, when I walked with Trayvon Martin family? I took both of my sons, and I wanted them to see what walking with injustice felt like. 
because I had lived it. Was you disappointed in me when Mike Brown was killed in St. Louis? I went to, I went to St. Louis and gave jobs. Were you disappointed in me then? Shannon, were you busy? Were you busy when Trayvon Martin family was walking? Because I didn't see you there. Were you busy when Mike Brown was killed? Because I didn't see you there either. I live black. I'm from the streets. I've been doing this 22 plus years, fighting injustice. Ray, I'm asking a very obvious question. Yeah. So you're, you're pained to the core that people would question your character and Man. integrity and commitment to this? You, can't, you can never question. Boomer, we pray before we come out the locker room. True or false? True. Phil, we pray before we come out the locker True. room. So why not pray in full stadiums? And that's what the two knees represent. That's what the two knees represent. I'm no, I'm no standing hook and protesting because Trump can't bother me what he said, I, no matter how bad it was. But it's a brotherhood that I have to lead young men. They're watching a leader who once came before them. So what do I do? I can't grab an arm with him because that means I'm mad at what Trump said. I ain't in the league no more. Ron, you know Dwayne more than mine and, and, and a high IQ about the game. Uh, then it's a lot easier for you to make the transition. Um, you look at D-Wade, uh, you look at Vince, you know, these are guys who are super, super superior when it comes to athleticism, but because of their mind, they're able to transition and still be productive. So, uh, you know, that's how you kind of look at it. How happy, I know he's one of your best guys, but how happy are you that this is actually gonna happen? Uh, I'm happy that we was able to keep him away from everybody else. And I'm, I mean, it's a guy, I mean, come on, man. It's like one of my best friends. So, you know, uh, it's like, uh, it's kind of like when you start school and, uh, you know, you walk into the classroom, you're not quite sure who your classmates is. And when you walk in there, one of your best friends is in there. You're like, oh yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good class. So uh, that's the type of feeling I got. When Howard's story came out, you know, two years ago about just the idea that the four of you could one day play together on the same team, really think that, that either that would come together or that you would even get a real chance to play with one of them? Like, uh, like I had a lot of hope of it, and uh, obviously there's a lot of speculation throughout the summer with Melo um, and, and possibly him joining us, and uh, you know, obviously we see how that panned out, but you know, I'm, you know, we're blessed as a franchise to be able to have a player of the caliber of D-Wade um, you know, join us, so uh, it's exciting. When you left Wayne, was there ever, we're going to do this again someday, did that in 14, did that come up? Did you have that talk with him? Or? No, no, um, talk didn't come up, but, uh, you know, over the course of, over time, I think, you know, even with the story coming out, you know, Howard, you know, made that story, you know, we always, it'd be an unbelievable you know, opportunity. We all got an opportunity to play together, but, you know, obviously right now, you know, myself and D-Wade are back and, uh, you know, along with the rest of these guys, so, you know, it should be um, a pretty dynamic piece. You spent a week with him uh, in, in L.A. Um, how does he look? How do you think? Uh, well, he adds another, obviously, another championship DNA. Um, another guy with high basketball IQ. Um, another playmaker that can make plays and also make shots. And uh, um, you know, so that adds to our that adds to our depth. And we were already, you know, uh, you know, pretty deep. So you know, it adds even more depth and uh, even more playmaking to our to our team, which uh, obviously you guys saw last year. You can still do. Numbers wise, is the 
Miami years were some of the best of both of your careers. Last year, Chicago wasn't the most efficient for him. Do you think he can get back to that efficiency that you guys had together? Um, yeah, I think so. I think it's because of the guys that we have playing around him. Um, you know, he doesn't have to worry about ever seeing a double team. He doesn't have to ever worry about, you know, taking tough shots. None of us, none of us have to take or make tough shots. I mean, we have to make tough shots, but we don't have to take them. We got too many, we got a lot of options. Uh, there should be a lot of guys uh, getting open shots or just, uh, you know, late contested shots. So, um, you know, efficiency has always been a huge part of, of myself and D-Wade. And, uh, and uh, I know he didn't like the way how he wasn't as efficient as he know he can be or has been throughout his career last year. I don't know. I think it's just the whole honesty thing. When you can be honest with somebody, no matter what's going on, and uh, and your games translate, then it's uh, it works very easily. So, you know, he tells me when I f up, and I tell him the same thing. When we get on each other, we've always been like that, uh, especially the four years that we played with one another, and even before that, when we just used to text. You know, I watch his games and tell him things he could have did better, and vice versa. So, um, you know, it's just just a brotherhood that we have. Brian, during your time in Miami, you guys were known for the spectacular alley oops. Should we expect to see more of that uh, this year here in Cleveland? Um, I'm still athletic, <laughs> and I think he still can pass. So, <laughs> expect it. Did you have to? Did you actually have to recruit him? Is that how you would characterize yeah. The, yeah. the conversation? Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's still a, you know, we're gonna be brothers no matter what. But this is a, this is a, you know, professional decision. This is his business that he has to worry about in his, his career. So, you know, there's a lot of teams and a lot of guys reaching out to him. So, you know, I couldn't feel entitled, you know, to, you know, just because he's a, you know, I talk to him, you know, every day. You know, I didn't have no entitlement about that. It's, you know, still, you know, wanting to get him comfortable and let him know how he can help us and, you know, and things of that nature. So. No, I guess it worked some. Hi, I'm Sugar Rogers. Shavante Zellis, and we're very, very excited to play the very, very first game of WNBA Live on NBA Live. Who, who you get? I'm no, going, it's I'm, only All Stars. No, I'm going to get the Liberty. I'm Liberty. Oh, no, I'm Liberty. You? Oh my! Let me show my rankings though. My rankings ain't bad. I'm lit. I'm in the '80s, baby. I don't like my rankings. <laughs> <laughs> Just to have our shoes the same shoes we wear in the game, our hair like that. Um, it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to talk trash um, with your teammates. Just to look over, like, hey, look how you look on here. Pass to the corner. Quick release for three. Oh! You know, when they put this out, I think everybody was so amazed, like, oh my gosh, finally it's something for the women and not just for the men. Um, so you, when you have little kids that's looking up to us to try to be in the position like we are in, and then to have a video game to, you know, kind of help that, it's amazing. Look at this, y'all. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
feel like, you know, you wait in line as a woman to get the NBA, but now you think, like, oh, I'm going to get the WNBA. It's been a little girl, you got to be excited because I'm, I'm a grown woman. And I'm Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. We are back here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. And I have a special guest on the line, and she's returning. We haven't had her on the show in a long time, it feels like. We have Sue Favor. She's the owner of womenshoopsworld.com. Uh, Sue, how's it going? It's been a while. Hey, how are you? How's everything on the East Coast? It's nice to be back on your show. Everything's going good. Uh, you know, it's the usual East Coast stuff. The weather's unpredictable, but uh, <laughs> we, we manage. We manage. Yes, yes. I love it over uh, there. Oh yeah, definitely. And another thing that we're we're trying to manage right now, at least for me, is just following this uh, this incredible WNBA Finals for the second straight year. You have the Lynx and the Sparks, and uh, we're going to a another you know decisive Game Five to see who's going to be the WNBA champion. Uh, what are your thoughts on this series so far, as compared to last year's? Well, it's funny because in in post game interviews last night, uh, other media sources were asking both players and coaches about how similar they are and um I think I think the players especially are are sick of that question but sorry they're pretty similar um it's an exact mirror of what happened last year so it seems um down to the last details so you know it's it's crazy we'll see what happens my feeling has been throughout this season that the pressure has been on the links because the sparks snuck in there at the end got that last minute basket which caused a lot of people to kind of almost discount their win, like, oh, especially Minnesota fans, oh, it was an accidental win and all that type of stuff. So the pressure was on the Lynx this whole season to, to quote-unquote, redeem and reclaim. And now, just just like that, the pressure is back on the Sparks because now they're in, they're going to be at uh, Minnesota's house, which is a very loud house. So now they got to go in there and, and pull off exactly what they did last year and go into the enemy territory and, and pull off a win. So... Now I think the script is flipped. Now the pressure's all in the sparks. Like, basically the question is, was last year an accident, or are you the real deal? Right. No, I could definitely hear that. It was a, it was a pretty physical game uh, on Sunday night, just uh, between both teams. And uh, do you feel like there's any bad blood between uh, both squads, or is it just like hard basketball right now because of the finals? Well, to, I'll be honest, Ed, this has been physical throughout the series. I actually thought last night was less physical than some of the other games so far between them. Um, there's no bad blood whatsoever, really. The the women on both teams are uh, two of the nicest groups of women in the league, and um, they have a lot of mutual respect for each other. And, um, no, there's not a there's really not a whole lot of bad blood in the WNBA as a whole. Um, Everybody has played together at some point in their lives, whether it's high school or club or college or against each other, and most of them know each other fairly well. They see each other overseas all year long. And so, um, you know, they're friendly, but they also are competitors, and they understand that once you step between the lines of the court, uh, friendship doesn't matter, and it's on. So when they're out there, yeah, it's it's an all-out war. I definitely hear that. And uh, just looking at the different performances so far in the finals, um, Candace Parker, obviously, you know, is usually consistent out there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Sylvia Fowles? Um, just, you know, she's the MVP. Do you feel like she's uh, really shown that she is the MVP during this finals in terms of, like, imposing her will? Well, she certainly did last night, Ed, and um, that performance was just amazing, uh, 22 points, 14 rebounds. It just, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. Um, she's she's definitely proved herself, proven herself worthy. She was definitely the all-out MVP. 
over the season. Who is going to get the MVP over the course of the finals remains to be seen because until yesterday, um, other people were uh, – the talk was about Kenneth Parker and Chelsea Gray from the Sparks who have also had stellar performances during the final series. So, of course, it just depends on who wins. But Sylvia has definitely proven herself if she even needed to. Um, she's a force in there, and she she really did, as you said, impose her will last night. There was no stopping her. I definitely hear that, and obviously her taking home the MVP. Just looking at the uh, regular season as a whole, do you feel like the league took a step forward when it came to not just, like, promotion, but just the overall quality of play in, in terms of the league itself? Um, you, you were saying that they did what about the overall quality of play? Oh, like the overall quality of play have probably went up because of um, – I just feel like this – see, this is my opinion I'm throwing out here. I just feel like this season there was more of a, of a variety of uh, great players on different teams. I like just from the from the rookie class that came in, I don't know if it was, in your opinion, more of a balance this season. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. It was pretty pretty balanced. You know, you had the Connecticut Sun pop up out of nowhere and just dominate. Um, and basically they only faltered in the playoffs, really. Uh, they were a surprise. Dallas Wings showed flashes of brilliance. So mm-hmm. – and the Mercury kind of came up after a bad start. You definitely are seeing the influence of that rookie class and also the development of the second- and third-year players who are beginning to catch on and beginning to get their feet under them in the pros. So, yeah, the league definitely continues to evolve. I don't know. You know, change happens so slowly that I don't know if I can say from one year to the next, oh, I noticed a big improvement. But if you look back, you know, maybe even seven years ago, you could say, yeah, wow, that's pretty amazing because you just see – you just see some amazing plays going on, and you see increased versatility among everyone. You know, Candace Parker is known for her versatility as a six foot four mm-hmm. forward who is seventh in the WNBA in assists. And um, you see a lot of people, you see a lot of players have similar types of skill sets like that now. It's not as uncommon as it used to be. So I guess if there's anything I could say, Ed, it's definitely the talent infusion, but it's also the diversity of the skill set of those who are playing that's making the difference. I definitely hear that, and obviously you, you know very well I'm a New York Liberty fan, mm-hmm. and for some reason that one game um, playoff, we always get the home game, and we just can't seem to get out of that. What are your thoughts with the playoff format? Do you feel like this is something that's here to stay, where it's basically open seating and you know the semifinals when you actually get a series? Do you feel like that's a fair way to uh, determine a title, determine a champion? That's a great question, Ed. Um, to be honest, I'm pretty sure that the playoff format is just done for um, for money's sake. You know, for the the mm-hmm. one and done is is probably just because the WNBA is on a tight budget and they can't afford to run long series. Whether it should be done, that's pretty that's pretty obvious. It, it shouldn't because the teams that have worked hard to get to the playoffs deserve more than a one and done. But mm-hmm. um, you know, as far as the Liberty is concerned, who knows? You know, I I feel for Liberty fans because you guys have been you know, Cinderella at the ball so many times with no date going home. Like, <laughs> I admire the resilience of Liberty fans, but it's a great team, you know. It really is. And so I hope that you guys can get what you deserve <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you you were t- you were dealt a bad break, obviously, with uh, with the out of Brittany Boyd with her injury. But, um, mm-hmm. hey, you know, it's uh, it is what it is. 
Yeah, and you know it's New York, so we're already getting the, the uh, comparisons of Tina Charles to Patrick Ewing in terms of not winning the big one but being a great <laughs> player. So I'm hoping she can uh, get through and get to at least the WNBA Finals, you know, with the with the Liberty. So yeah, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll definitely we'll definitely see what happens. Um, recently, uh, NBA Live, the video game, they uh they just had an update where there, there's going to be the WNBA infusing the game as um, playable characters. And mm-hmm. and it was a surprise for many people. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, because, you know, for many years now, WNBA is over 20 years old. Why was this never done in the past? That's one. And um, two, how are they going to actually, you know, represent them? And uh, seeing the different trailers and uh, the gameplays online, it, it looks really good. Mm-hmm. But uh, this this just has me thinking now in regards to that, do you feel like the WNBA should get their own game just outright instead of being a part of an NBA video game? Oh, you know what? Of course they should. But I think I, I think if you ask the powers that be, and I'm just proje- I'm just projecting because I'm not going to pretend to know what other people think, but they would probably say that they need the they need to hang on the coattails or the shine of the NBA to get their foot in the door and propel it. Um, and to a certain extent, I would agree because the WNBA is still largely invisible to many uh, segments of the population. So maybe that is true. But the good news is that the reviews on the game have been great. People really, really appreciate it. It's well, it's well done. It, it was well thought out, well drawn up. The, char- the screen characters look exactly like their real life counterparts, and uh, people are having a good time with it. So it's, you know, if anything, it's just a real positive that it was put out there, and so hopefully it'll, it'll popularity will continue to grow so that, yeah, maybe they can have their own thing. Yeah, and I was I was just thinking, like, uh, being a kid and playing the NBA video games growing up, that's how I learned about a lot of different players, not just the yeah. players that play locally. So I'm thinking if they, you know, keep this consistently going, updating the rosters, this is how uh, a lot of, you know, young kids can play the games and say, oh, I know this player on the WNBA. Mm-hmm. And then make that connection because I know that's how I did it personally, and may, probably many others. So I think it's a great step for the WNBA, you know, just in promotion. So it should have happened a long time ago. That's, <laughs> that's yeah, my yeah. Opinion. No, I, I I have to agree with you on that, Ed. I don't know why it didn't, but I'm sure glad it's here now. That's for sure. Definitely. And um, before you go, I have to ask, obviously, the all important question: We're heading into Game Five on Wednesday. Who wins Game Five? Are we talking about the Lynx redeeming themselves or the Sparks going back-to-back? Oh, boy. That is probably the hardest question in the world right now. And I don't trust my own instincts anymore, Ed, because yesterday I thought for sure the Sparks were going to wrap it up uh, because Mm. in practices on Saturday the Lynx looked pretty tired, the Sparks looked pretty fresh, but then yesterday turned out to be quite the opposite. So I honestly don't know. It depends on, you know, both players from both teams, veteran players, they know what to do. They know how to prepare mentally. So the question is, will they and will the home court advantage make a huge difference for the Lynx? Um, didn't last year. We shall see. It's going to take uh, basically a Herculean effect for the for the Sparks to get that mental confidence to, go in, to walk in there and, and snatch another one out of there. So, if they do that, man, that's going to be that's going to be a, a huge deal, and it's going to silence a lot of critics for a while. I definitely hear that, um, Sue. As always, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show and just breaking down the WNBA. Uh, if you want more information on Sue, just check out womenshoopsworld.com. She has a great a bunch of great articles from almost every game. It feels like in the WNBA, college basketball. Uh, just make sure you add that to your bookmark list. Until next time.
Hey, thanks so much for having me, Ed. It's always great to talk to you. Always. Have a good one. All right, you too. take the time to thank everybody for tuning in to uh, Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. It's, uh, like I said, it was just a, just a big show and um, having uh, two special guests that know so much in their field and how much it affects the sports world as a whole. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. So thanks again to Jonathan I again, to uh, Sue Favor to, for just giving their thoughts on their expertise on everything that's been going on in the world of sports. Because I, I want to have that, once again, to be the main focus when it comes to this show. Just people that have a lot to say, people that are experts that want to know what's going on in the world of sports. If they are, you know, either for a topic, against a topic, you know, whether it's like a biography on Muhammad Ali or it's just what's going on in the WNBA this season. Um, and I always feel like... When you talk about just women's, ba- women's basketball in general, whether it's professional or college, there isn't much of an outlet. Yes, you see the games on ESPN and uh, occasionally on your local you know, affiliate, but you don't really get enough discussion about it. So having that conversation with Sue, I always appreciate because you want to have that back and forth. That dialogue needs to happen. And the, the women in the WNBA do a great job. I feel like putting out a great product, so... It's something that we hope to grow and uh, you hope to see more of in the uh, near future. But uh, once again, hit me up at Ed Easton Jr. on Twitter and Instagram for your thoughts on uh, different topics. And until next time, you've been listening to Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio.